Spit that shit right out. It's fucking iced tea. What the fuck? What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome to the show. We're coming in hot today. Because I just got done going through the drive-thru at McDonald's. I got my <clears throat> my usual coffee, which is a large iced coffee with sugar-free vanilla with light ice. You got to go light ice because when they put the ice in the cup, they fill the motherfucker up to the top with ice, right? So then when they pour the coffee in, you're only getting like a small cup full of coffee. And then the rest is all just ice. And then it just waters down and shit. But if you go light ice, then you just get like a giant bucket of coffee, basically. So this time I went through and I had a fucking coupon. I had the coupon. The thing that they send you that is the buy one, get one free. McCafe, any drink, right? So... Here I am all excited. I'm going to go get me two large iced coffees, right? One for now, one for in the morning. And uh, I get it home. Well, when they hand it to me out the window, it looked a little light. And I thought maybe they went a little heavy on the creamer because they've done that from time to time where, like, their iced coffee container machine doesn't have enough coffee to fill my coffee order. So they the you can like literally see when you're waiting through the drive-thru, they're like trying to tip over the fucking thing and, and slurp every last drop down into your cup. And then sometimes they'll try to make up the difference with extra creamer or more ice than you asked for. And I realize I make it a headache for them at the at the drive-thru when I do that because it's a lot of coffee to order, but fuck them, right? Because they're McDonald's and they can afford it. <clears throat> It's the best deal if you can do it like that. You could even go no cream and just get a straight bucket of coffee for like two bucks, man. I'm telling you. But anyway, so they hand me these cups and they look a little light in color. And I'm like, eh. And I even like eyeballed the lady at the drive-thru. Like I held the cup up and I looked at it and I looked at her. And I just said thank you and drove off. So I let her know that I knew something was afoot. Oh boy, did I not know what the fuck was afoot. <clears throat> I get home. I open a straw. Put the straw in the cup. Take a sip. Spit that shit right out. Because it's fucking iced tea. Iced tea. Did they mishear me at the speaker? Did it crackle when I made my order? Do they hear iced tea instead of coffee? And if they did, who orders their iced tea with coffee creamer in it? Do you? Have you? Does your uncle? Have you heard of anybody? I'd like to know. Is this a thing? Do they do it in Europe? Sounds like an European thing, right? They have those creamy coffees, or like in, in Japan they do. <clears throat> this is America. America, we don't coffee cream our fucking iced tea we'll just sip that shit 
So I spit it out. And I opened the cap and I dumped it out. I'm like, well, maybe, just maybe. They ran out of coffee. They tried to pull a fast one on me. We only got enough for one coffee, so we're gonna we're gonna fill this other one with iced tea and maybe he won't notice. The fuck I won't notice. They had to have misheard me. <clears throat> Pop open another straw, stick it in the cup, take a sip of the other one, the second one. Spit that shit right out! It's fucking iced tea. What the fuck? No, I'm not going to drive back, wait another fucking 10 minutes in the long-ass drive through 15 minutes. I mean, the line's out to the road for a $2, what ended up being $2.50 spent. I'll eat that, and I'll eat the loss of the coupon, too, because normally that would be like a $5 order. <clears throat> but these cocksuckers at McDonald's, man, they don't even care. Taco Bell's shady like that, too, if you've noticed. Like, these drive through places, they will just unabashedly just fucking ruin your order. They'll just hand you whatever the fuck. It's like, like, your order is a suggestion, okay? Like, we'll take your suggestion into consideration, but if we got something else here waiting at the window that maybe somebody drove off and didn't pay, we're going to hand you that shit instead. Or maybe, you know, we ran out of the fucking nachos, so we're just going to give you twisties, and you're just going to fucking like it. Because fuck you. <clears throat> this is the world we live in. Speaking of the world we live in, I hope everybody's doing well. It's getting crazy out there. Keeping your sanity, I hope. Bombs are dropping. Shit's fucking going nuts over in the Ukraine. Thoughts and prayers for those fellas over there. The people. Thoughts and prayers for the people of Ukraine. TikTok, man, like the modern era, you can just watch the war happen in real time, basically. I go on TikTok, <clears throat> which you can follow me on, by the way, cheap plug, at Seth Grimes Media. I also have my uh, Cryptomania NFTs on there. but So I go scrolling. And you can see there's people that live in the Ukraine that are giving you updates from Ukraine, from the streets of Ukraine. You see fucking jets flying overhead. You see bombs dropping in the distance. You see cars just driving down the road and a fucking tank will swerve and squish it. I saw that yesterday. A fucking civilian car driving down the road towards a tank, a tank coming from the opposite direction. The tank swerves over into her lane, His her lane, it was an old lady, <clears throat> an old lady at that, and fucking ran over her car, and then they show like a clip, she lived, They're pulling, they had like medics pulling her out or whatever, there's videos of like trucks unloading guns and stuff, it's getting wild, this isn't a political, uh, I don't want to be political here, I am starting another show. Or I can get into that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but I don't think it's political to just kind of describe what's going on, right? And, and the fact that it's being broadcast through TikTok is interesting. You know, hearing the people, and, and Russian people too, civilians in Russia, uh, are, are talking about it from their perspective. And, and man, the world's getting nutty out there, but I hope you are holding yourself down. And uh, keeping your mental health in check, 
keeping a positive spin on your life, going about your day-to-day. <clears throat> my day-to-day is all fucked because McDonald's fucked my coffee up. My coffee. You fucked my coffee up. Thankfully, I have my old trusty fallback, Mr. Bang Energy. Bang never lets me down. You know, when I am at my worst of worst, Bang is there to pick me up. When I'm feeling broke and alone, Bang's there to give me a strong, firm cuddle. When I'm feeling, when I'm feeling low, Bang gets me high. When I'm feeling high, Bang makes me feel low. Do you understand what I'm saying? Bang never lets you down. I'm hoping to get a sponsorship out of Bang somewhere along the way in my life. That's that's the end goal. Everybody, you know, they want to get rich. They want to get famous. They want five houses. I want Bang Energy Drink to sponsor me. I just open my show with sponsored by Bang Motherfucking Energy Drink. I learned the term bricked up from Bang, as a matter of fact. You know what I'm talking about? Bricked up? <laughs> if you don't, Google it. Um, but I had posted a picture of my Bang when I bought like 10 Bangs in a row, just stocked up for the week. And I posted a picture on Twitter of them, and I tagged Bang, and I said, I don't always get sexually aroused from soft drinks, but when I do... <clears throat> and they they replied they said bricked up by bang and uh something else i don't know that's cool or some shit like that i don't know fuck it anyway we're not here to talk about bang or all the bangs going on over in in ukraine or the bang that's gonna happen at mcdonald's when i go back there and bash the fucking heads in of everybody that works there i'll go back and i'll flip the burgers myself I'll keep the place open. Everybody will be fucking dead. Probably shouldn't say that. I take that back. That was a joke. Don't report me. Jesus Christ. Can we be hyperbolic in today's world? Can I just exaggerate a little bit? <clears throat> so it had occurred to me that I'm out here always like, Plugging this podcast, plugging that podcast, and you know we're doing these review videos and doing this and doing that. I got a book, <clears throat> and it occurred to me I got a lot of uh, new people following me, and and you know just even new people in my personal life that maybe don't know my full history. They don't know why I'm this. Guy that likes to do podcasts and, and, and writes books and stuff like that. And where did all this kind of stuff come from, you know? Because <clears throat> this is the new podcast. So people, you know, there's going to be people who are like, why, why is this dude starting a podcast? But. So I wanted, what I wanted to do was kind of just go a little different with this episode and kind of talk about, like, the history of my uh, multimedia career, my entertainment career, my uh, production career, my uh, 
entertaining career and you know who is seth grimes and where does seth grimes come from and all that shit so <clears throat> i thought i'd just kind of take you guys through a walk through a history of my uh my entertainment life today i thought that'd be fun um there's a lot of a lot of a lot of moving parts in this story i won't go too in-depth on any one thing you know we can always do that in later episodes uh, you know, do like a deep dive on the book itself or do a deep dive on the Busy Bone show or that kind of stuff. <clears throat> yeah. But let's talk about all that, you know. Um, so that's what it's going to be. If you don't care, you don't want to hear about my history, you know about it. Now's a good time to shut off. I got my rant out of the way. You know, you heard your rant for the day. You could be good. But uh, if you are curious as to the origins of myself seth grimes the entertainment side of me the entertainment side of 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 brandon because this is a personal podcast right we can shoot here we can shoot brother so yeah shoot name brandon right why seth grimes <clears throat> why podcast why do you do what you do so take my hand let's take a walk back all the way back to when I was in junior high, I guess, is where all of this shit started. I'd kind of discovered my love for writing. And I guess even before that, you could say I was creative. Um, I used to, uh, just from a creativity standpoint, I used to collect, uh, well, I had like action figures as a kid, right? Like Batmans and Ninja Turtles. And I had wrestlers. And I had a wrestling ring. And I would have the wrestlers, I would book shows, right? I'd have the wrestlers wrestle matches. I'd book them in feuds, you know, title switches, all that shit. And I would, like, create the entrance. I'd even had, like, at one point when I had a TV in my room, I used the TV as, like, the Tron over the entrance. And, like, you know, I had everybody's music on fuck it. Like, I, I went all out with, like, production on just toys, playing with toys. Um... <clears throat> I would do, like, special, like, covers for the mat on the ring out of construction paper. It was fun. I used to, like, in elementary... This was elementary school. I used to ninja into... <laughs> there was a supply room in the elementary school where, like, they kept all, like, the art supplies and just, you know, shit that they need for school. There was a whole shelf just stocked up with construction paper, like, all the way up to the top. So I used to sneak in there. Because the door was open for whatever reason. Every once in a while. And I'd grab a stack of like construction paper. Different colors and shit. And I'd come home and I'd make like. Like if my show was Wrestlemania. I'd make a Wrestlemania mat canvas for the ring. I'd make a SummerSlam. You know. Like I was creative like that. So when I grew out of the toys. It became like writing was my thing. <clears throat> and uh. I started writing, like, poetry, and that kind of morphed into songwriting. I also did a lot of journaling, but uh, this was kind of like uh, middle school, right, junior high. And I just loved to, to write. I started writing, and it kind of became my outlet because I was a little depressed emo kid. Still a depressed emo kid. But as a kid, I'd get it out through the writing.
key lime pie bang today. You guys ever try the key lime pie bang? It's not as overbearing as you would think it would be. It's like, it's mild. It's just a hint of like, it's just, they're perfect. Bang just nails, bang nails their flavors. Their flavors are never like too much or too little or too weird, soury. They're like fucking flavor geniuses. But anyway, <clears throat> so the writing morphed into songwriting, poetry. And uh, me and a, a buddy at the time even like had came up with the idea to form a rap group. And uh, we never actually like rapped or anything, but we did write songs together. So so I learned the art of songwriting, I suppose, to an extent. You know, I don't know if I fully understood what like a chorus was or, you know, the hook or anything like that. But, you know, I knew to rhyme. I knew, you know, what rap sounded like. So I wrote rhymes. And... <clears throat> That pattern kind of continued all the way up through high school. I kept journaling. I kept writing poetry. I kept writing songs. I'd write love letters to whatever girl of the week I was in love with. <clears throat> That's something I want to cover down the line, too, is, like, lost loves. You know, I use that term loosely, girl I love. There's only a couple that I actually love, but... We'll talk about that later, too, but, you know, I was the romantic type, writing letters and stuff like that, but <clears throat> in, I think, my senior year of high school, maybe junior year, there was another kid at the school who was a rapper. He was a great under, the, under me, <clears throat> his name, he went by the name Schizo at the time. And uh, he had, like, spiky hair, and he was, like, the rapper kid. And he just, like, put out a fucking CD on his own. Like, an actual, like, full CD. Like, recorded his songs and beats and all that shit. <clears throat> and I got a hold of it, and I was, like, a hater of it, right? Like, oh, psh, you know, write better stuff than this. The rhymes are stupid, man. But he was doing it. He was rapping, and he was good too. He was good at a young age, very good, better than, you know, better than anything I would have done. But I was hating on it because <clears throat> I was jealous. I was like, "What the fuck?" You know, like I, I'm the rapper guy. I wanna, I wanna be able to put out a CD. You know, like hate, hate. But I was just like, eh, you know. And then somewhere along the way, like he kind of grew in popularity because he was the rapper guy at school. And uh, he ended up crossing paths with my friend circle. I had an apartment uh, with a buddy, and we, we had friends over one night, and he just happened to show up at the party. And uh, there was my roommate had like gone through my stuff one day or something, and Found that I had notebooks full of rhymes and stuff. So he actually told this kid, he's like, hey, he writes for songs and shit. And started talking to this rapper dude and we hit it off. We just, we became fast friends. Like, we just clicked right away. We got along. And uh, it was kind of like, a, hey, you write songs. Hey, you record songs and you rap. Maybe we should do a project together sometime. <clears throat> so... 
what we did was we ended up we had started hanging out a lot just me and him and i'd end up going over his house and like kind of sitting under the learning tree a little bit and watch him record songs watch him mix songs and you know i started taking my rhyme book over there and kind of trying to start to bust some of that out to the beat and he would kind of help me along the way teach me things like to how to you know kind of stay on beat because when you write without a beat you don't know that your lyrics are going to fit the beat right you can write a song two different ways and people do you know you can write a song to the beat and you know it'll fit and kind of go with the flow and then there's other people who write it like i did like a journal or a diary kind of thing and then you just find a beat that fits your your lyrics it can work either way um, I've kind of grown into liking to write to a beat better, uh, especially if you're going to do a chorus because you kind of want to, a rap is a rap, but you kind of want to make a chorus kind of go with the music of the chorus unless it's like a, anyway, sidebar. We're getting off track here. <clears throat> so this leads to me starting to record and uh, we did like a song, maybe another song. And uh, that led to basically like doing a whole album. So he was a solo rapper. He had released a couple CDs by this point on his own under the name Schizo. Uh, my nickname at the time was Sheep. I had like really curly hair and kind of like a fro. And uh, multiple people from like different friend circles had commented that it kind of looked like the wool of a sheep. So I got the name Sheep like from a couple different people at the same time, basically. They just started batting at me and stuff. So <clears throat> I went by the name Sheep. And I actually added uh, Shippy Ship, like Doggy Dog, because uh, uh, I had friends that would call me, like, Ship for short. Like, you're Sheep, but you're Ship. You know, hey, what's up, Ship? So it's like you're shortening Sheep, which is already short, so it's kind of pointless. <laughs> but... So I went with Shippy Ship, like Doggy Dog, Sheep Shippy Ship. And that was my name, and he was Schizo. And we did an album. You know, we formed a rap group by the name of Hokum, which uh, basically means like verbal nonsense. Like you're just, you're speaking, it's all nonsense. You know, it's gibberish. I mean, it's not like gibberish in the sense where the you can't even make out the words. It would be more in the sense of the words don't make sense together. It's nonsense. So, we formed this rap group, and then that leads to, I think, even doing, I don't know if we started started doing, yeah, we did. We, did, we started doing shows, then we did another album. We ended up doing three albums together as a group, and we started doing shows locally. He was also the first person to, like rent out a place to do a show and then just do the show on his own. And this was in high school. Uh, there was a, a local uh, theater that had basically shut down when the big, like, eight theater cinema multiplex came to town. We had, like, before that, we just had the old local theaters with one screen, and then there would just be different showtimes for different movies. There was two, and they would have, like, one would have, like, four movies and the other would have like four movies and they'd be different 
And uh, these places were all but shut down, and they were trying to do different things like youth clubs and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, one eventually became a bar, and one became a church, and like, but they would do, they would allow for for like fifty or a hundred bucks or whatever. He was able to like rent out the place, or maybe even a door split on the tickets. I don't know the exact situation, but <clears throat> able to rent the place out and start doing shows there. And then, uh, you know, I started doing shows with them. We did shows. Um, from the rapping, that went on for many years. Um, you know, we did three albums together. I expanded into doing some solo albums. It wasn't very great during those early years. The first two Hokum albums were pretty much trash. Schizo was good. I wasn't that great. The beats weren't that great. The production wasn't that great. The mixing wasn't that great. Sound quality is not that great. The third one, I think we really nailed it, though. I'm really, I really do like that album still. But, um, you know, but I grew as a, you know, I, I progressively, every album that I did, solo or group or whatever, I was progressively getting better at the rapping. And my writing was crisp, you know. My writing was... I would argue, you know, pretty much unbeatable in that local circle, at least. And, um, you know, with the local musicians. Because that's the other thing, too. Once you start in rapping, you kind of... There's a community for everything, right? People have their church community. They have their fucking hunting wolf community. I don't know. I'm just fucking rambling here. But you get, like... There's a community of rappers, you know. Once you start rapping, there's other rappers in town, and they start hearing about you, and inevitably there's beefs. Start beefing with the local rappers and stuff. We even got to a point where we were uh, had a relationship with a local radio DJ. He, he held down the night show back when radio was still a thing. And he started, there was a new station that started, and this night guy was playing like... Music that you wouldn't normally hear on the radio at the time. Like, he'd play, like, corn at night and stuff like that, right? <clears throat> and he, we, we reached out to him, I think, to just play a song on the radio. And he ended up taking a liking to us. So he would play songs on the radio for us. Anytime we had, like, a new single drop or whatever, he'd play it. And he'd even invite us on. And we'd go on and we would talk on the radio. And this is in high school. Uh, and I think maybe even, you know, into like my first year out of high school or whatever, but we were still very young at the time, you know, teenagers, 18, 19, 17, going on the local radio, doing interviews with the DJ and we were like goofy characters, you know, we'd mess with him and he'd mess with us back and we'd just talk nonsense and just be ridiculous and funny and weird on the radio. And it was great. It was fun. It was an amazing time. I wish I had recordings of some of those old radio shows which i was savvy enough to try to work that out and save those you know it's kind of stuff that uh, when you look back it's nice to i have most of the stuff that i've always worked on but some stuff has slipped through the cracks of the years and that's one of them and that kind of makes me sad um eventually we ended up splitting up uh, he ended up finding a girl that he ended up marrying and I ended up just kind of out on my own. So 
by this point I had we were living together. We had a we had an apartment together and we we had moved out of our small town into a bigger city to help make shit grow. And uh he, with him dating this girl all the time, I was kind of left to myself. And what I did was I recorded an album. And this was the first time I had recorded, mixed, edited, put just the whole thing was me from start to finish. You know, I took everything that I learned from working with him under his wing and we just fucking just boom, you know? <clears throat> so I made this album, but I had it, and I, but I wasn't going to like do shows and stuff on my own. I was kind of lost in the city. Didn't really know anybody else. Ended up moving back to my small town and this is where I hooked up with my buddy Dusty. So he stayed, you know, schizo stayed, got married eventually, all that stuff. I moved on with my solo album back up to my hometown. And then it was like my buddy Dusty was like, hey, man, let's reboot what you were doing before, but let's do it together. And he wasn't a rapper or anything. He just wanted to, like, be involved with it. He liked the movement. He liked what we were doing. But he thought, like, you know, I, I can help with this. So he got in as kind of like, uh, for better or worse, I would say like a manager position, right? You know, um, and and he was uh, eventually ended up being my hype man too. Not at first, but he ended up joining on as a my on stage uh, hype man as well. But he kind of inspired me, like, hey man, we can really make a run out of this, you know? Like, let's go. So. It was in no time at all, really, that we started booking our own shows again. Only this time, you know, without Schizo. And, you know, a few years had passed. A couple years had passed since we were doing the music scene in our town. And it had just kind of died off. Like, there's always bar bands, cover bands, that kind of stuff. But, like, we were the scene for rappers. You know, we had opening acts, obviously, so the locals would come and would open up underneath us. And, and even when I went solo, you know, Schizo would be the headliner and I'd be right under him and we'd have a couple under me and we would just, that's how we'd do them. And the scene was dead, you know, nobody else was, nobody picked up the mantle where we left off and kept doing shows. So we started it back up, me and Dusty. We started like, uh, you know, we started working with the Battle of the Bands, I think was the first step. We did a Battle of the Bands gig where I was just the host. And then kind of, that was my way to kind of dip my toe back into the music scene, you know. I got to know a lot of the local bands through that and build some good relationships there. Then moved straight into, you know, getting gigs at a local bar. And, you know, we started putting on shows at this local bar. We actually, we, we had like, there was a restaurant that booked live music. We were going to do a Toys for Tots show and uh, like a charity event. Uh, around Christmas time, and we had made a deal with the Toys for Tots people. We were going to do a charity event. And, like, hours before the show, like, the day of the show, the fucking restaurant, like, found out what kind of music we were, which is very vulgar, rowdy, obnoxious rap music. And they were like, nope, we're not having that here. So <laughs> they, they, uh, they kicked us out. On the day of, and we were scrambling, so we ended up finding a local bar that was managed at the time by a good dude that we went to high school with. So we're like, fuck yeah. And uh, it's good to know people in small towns like that. So we got the, in at the bar, 
you know, and uh, we ended up moving that show there, getting the word out on social media, and then we just kept doing shows there, and we were blowing it up. Like, that place was getting packed on, like, Friday, Saturday nights, whatever nights we were doing shows. That place was filling all the way to the fucking back, and we just lined it up with local music, and we started doing the same thing. Plugging in local rappers, uh, working with local bands. We even did, uh, uh, when we started expanding out, we started doing shows up in Calumet, Houghton, Marquette. Uh, we started finding rappers from there and inviting them to come do shows in our town, uh, which was Escanaba. I guess some people aren't from the UP, they don't even know these <laughs> UP towns. Uh, of Michigan I'm talking about but that was our stomping ground you know we moved, even moved into Wisconsin we started doing shows in Wisconsin we came downstate we did shows downstate in lower Michigan uh, in both Traverse City and uh we didn't I didn't come as low as Grand Rapids with Dusty but when I was living uh in Grand Rapids with with Schizo we did some shows uh in Grand Rapids so I was all over the place Wisconsin was Milwaukee and Sheboygan and it was so fun and we we were just stomping the territory we were getting in with all the locals and we were doing shows with them in their town and then they come do shows in our town we got to the point where we were blowing this bar up so big that the fucking the the the, we were running out of room you know it was jam-packed which is never a bad problem you want a jam-packed place you know, we were getting paid good because the bar was making mad money off drinks. And we'd even do things, like, to encourage it. Like, we did a show called uh, Blackout, which was the drunkest night in human history. And it was how we promoted it. And the flyer had, like, this chick, like, laying on the floor, passed out in a puddle of her own puke. <laughs> and it was just like a dirty old dive bar managed by friends. So we could totally get away with just... The dirty vibe of it, right? Like, but that was the incentive. Come get drunk as fuck. We had like a blackout mixie that they invented for the night. Like, we man, it was a good time. That was, I'd say that was like peak fun, you know. Uh, we had so much fun doing shows there. You know, we'd get drunk as fuck, we'd just perform wreck the place and you know and it's just a uh, because the local rapper and local band even communities are a community we're all friends with each other we all know each other so it was a it was an opportunity to hang out and especially bringing in rappers from other parts of the state and even out of state it just really like opened the community and, and it's it's Man, it was beautiful. It was it was fun. It was a fun time, and it's a, it's such a fun way to do it. You know, like you're sharing, you're helping everybody get you know get their name out and spread them around, and it's just fucking awesome. But we got to the point where we're like, hey, we're getting pretty big here. Um, so we went to one of those old theaters, the ones that we used to do shows with Schizo, and uh, where I used to do shows, me and Schizo did as Hokum. And uh, by this time, I'm going under the name of The Sheep. I dropped the shippy ship after after a minute. You know, that was an early, early on thing. Now it's just The Sheep. Um, and I had another solo record after, you know, because I, I was running off of the one that I had recorded when I had split up with Schizo. And then 
I had recorded another one with Schizo, actually. I came back down. He was already, I think, married at the time. I stayed at his house literally for, like, three days straight. We we recorded an album in a three-day session. And uh, to this day, it's my favorite album. He had, by that point, put together a pretty professional studio setup. Kind of made that his hobby. And, um, man, we just made a beautiful record together. You know, it was my solo, but it was his production and, and all of that. <clears throat> and I came back with that. And me and Dusty were just pounding that bitch all over, like I said, all over the state, all over the neighboring state. We are just killing it. And we were making ourselves a little bit of money, making ourselves a little bit of a noise. We were having fun. We ended up upgrading to the theater, a bigger venue. This place can hold, you know, a thousand people. We weren't drawing a thousand people, but we were drawing hundreds, hundred or two. You know, we were packing out fucking dive bars and shit. So we get to this theater and we're like, hey, let us, we're, you know, we're promoting all these shows, you know, showed this chick some videos again, managed by somebody that we knew. Showed her the videos of, of the other bars that we were doing shows at. We were running a couple by that point. And she's like, okay, yeah, you can promote it. I think we started with like a Halloween party event there. Um, I think earlier in the night we had some local performances, but then we just kind of ran it like a club. You know, we had a DJ in that night. We were doing like giveaway contests and we were just kind of hosting it. It was a costume party and we did like the giveaway for the prizes. And man, it was so fun in that era. I think I was on some acid that night, just tripping my balls off. And I never told Dusty because he would have like, yeah, he wouldn't have got mad. But it was, you know, you don't tell your your partner that you're, hey man, I'm gonna go. We're, we're when we rap on stage tonight, I'm gonna be tripping on acid. <laughs> you know, surprisingly though, like I was shocked how easily I was able to nail my set. I don't know if I was just so in the pocket of like performing live and doing shows and just knowing my lyrics. And we had, we had like little, we didn't just rap, speak to the crowd. We put on like a bit of a show, you know, we had some other guys on our team that were just like rappers, you know, they would just sit and kind of kick like poetry to a beat almost to a, to an extent where they're just talking to the crowd. We were like pounding energy into the crowd, right? We were jumping up and down and, waving our hands around and we had all this shit like built into the set you know like this part of the song will do this little movement and we we just had it down we, we just knew each other had it nailed so i was tripping balls and we, we continued doing shows there and we were running shows through there uh promoting just club events for them we eventually uh brought a, a regular DJ into there that we were friends with that we were working with at our shows. He was our like house DJ for our shows. Um so we brought him in to be their house DJ and he started getting a good payday there, just fucking doing club DJing and stuff. So we were doing those events mixed with concert events, mixed with we had like a beer pong tournament. Like we did like we, we, we expanded from just being the rappers doing our own shows to being like full on event promoters at this point. So now we're just we, we ended up even getting a gig to do uh, event promotions for the city. And this was fucking shocking because, again, vulgar rappers, you know, uh, I got a line. Uh, 
fuck a bitch in the ass with a broken bottle glass. Ask me to tone it down, kiss my motherfucking ass. You know what I mean? So it's like that kind of music. And uh, I love that shit, too. Yeah, I would get so canceled today. Like, I wouldn't even have a start. Like, if I ever run for president, they're going to find all my old music and I'll just get buried. I'm going to get Joe rogan But then, uh, uh, fuck, I lost my track. So, yeah, we're doing, like, event promotion. We did a show, uh, an event for the city. They do, like, sidewalk sales every year. Like during the summer, the like all the uh, main street businesses would like move all their racks out onto the sidewalks, and there'd be like events in the streets and stuff, you know, like games and just whatever, you know what I mean? Small town shit. And uh, we did. They wanted to do live music there, so they booked us for the live music for the entire day. We booked an entire lineup from fucking noon to to eight o'clock at night. You know, bands, local band, and this is where, like, doing those Battle of the Bands and having those connections with the local people. We were getting back on the radio again. We were fucking, like, we were the kings of our little local area. As far as local music was concerned, like, we were doing it bigger than anybody. There were cover bands that were making more money because there were, like, cover bands, you know, and there's bars that want those three-hour cover bands that will just play all night and play all the hits and stuff. We were the local music promoters. If you wanted local music, local artists, a local band that wasn't doing cover music but was doing their own written songs, their own fucking everything, guitar riffs, all that shit, lyrics, rappers, independent rappers, DJs, that was us. It all came through us. We booked it. And we spread it around, and we were we were doing fucking great. And uh, eventually, so we had this club uh, locked down with an iron fist. We were doing events for them every month between our own shows, uh, other shows, um, you know, for bands and shit like that. Uh, like I said, you know, the beer pong, the club nights. We ended up, uh, had a friend that was a female DJ. We started doing, like, ladies' night things. And then <coughs> we had, <coughs> God damn. Sorry about that. I'm not cutting it out either. It's live to tape. Fuck you. So, uh... We started moving into doing bigger shows. We're like, okay, what's next? Um, when we were working with some Wisconsin rappers, and one of them ended up kind of like they, the kids in Wisconsin were bringing in like nationally touring acts, and they were like finding those indie acts that would like tour the nation like on the small club level. And they were, like, booking them as their openers and then doing shows under them, which was fucking genius. So working through these, we got asked eventually, hey, you want to do a show with, uh, what do you think about bringing this guy to the UP? Yes. And it was fucking, it was Busy Bone. We got the Iggy that we had the opportunity if we wanted. Because by this point, we were bringing these Wisconsin groups to... Uh, the UP to do shows with us, and then we were going to Wisconsin to do shows with them, 
staying at their place overnight, fucking, you know, just bonding. You know what I mean? And uh, so when we got the Iggy to, that we could bring Busy Bone to the UP, we're like, fuck yeah, let's, yes, absolutely, let's jump on it. So we uh, scrounged the money together, and by we, I mean Dusty, because I was a pro cast. And, uh, you know, uh, we were able to get money together. Uh, and we had some from our shows and stuff. We were building a little bit of a, of a stockpile. Uh, nothing crazy. A lot of it was just enough to kind of pay us for spending money. You know, you make a few hundred dollars a night doing shows. You know, you split that between me and Dusty. And, you know, and he was coming from out of town. So a lot of expense rental for speakers, that kind of stuff, microphones. So we put the money together for a down payment to bring Busy Bone to the UP from Bone Thugs and Harmony. And we start selling tickets and putting out flyers and we make it official. We got the contract. We actually got a physical contract that we signed. We had to sign and like send back. And, and it was crazy because the, yeah, I've never seen like a professional, like a music contract before. Right. It had like a rider in it. If you guys know what a rider is, it's where like the musicians tell you what they need. Like, uh, so we had to deal with quite a few riders, uh, as we kind of grew into doing other artists. I'll get to that in a minute, but it was like, uh, the riders were, would have like, you know, it'd be just what kind of liquor they want on hand or beer that they want on hand. They got to have a hotel. They want whatever the fuck, you know, um, <clears throat> nothing crazy. So we, uh, for Busy Bone, we put Busy Bone up at the hotel at the casino. Oh, man, did he fucking love that. He loved that. And the people he was on tour with, man, it was great. Uh, fun fact that that, when he left, actually, the next day, he forgot, like, all his clothes and his watch and all his shit in his hotel room. So I got the message the next day after our first big show that Busy left his shit in the hotel room. And he says he doesn't care about anything else but his watch. He needs his watch. So I actually, he left a pair of pants and shirt. And he said he only wanted the watch. I even asked. I said, hey, there's some clothes here, too. You want and, and they're like, nope, just the watch. So I had to go to the hotel. And because I put it under my name, I was able to get the get the shit, you know, that was in there. <clears throat> and uh, they had it set aside. So I actually kept and I still own. I don't know what the hell happened to the shirt, but I still own to this day Busy Bones pants. So I have a pair and they fit me. And then <laughs> I will from time to time wear a pair of Busy Bone jeans. Uh, they're good, good quality jeans. They're my Busy Bone jeans. Fuck off. But and then his watch was all iced out and shit. It was a, it was a really bling blingy rapper watch. So that's why he was, it was important to him that he wanted it. And, and I you know of course I put it on my wrist and shit like a fucking mark. Before I mailed it out to him in nice little puffy packaging and he received it and all was well. But we brought Busy Bone to town. We were promoting this show and like nobody fucking half the town didn't believe us. You know, because it's such a shady, skeptical, everybody knows everybody town. So everybody went to high school with us and shit or knew us from around the way. And half people were haters anyway because like, oh, these fucking rapper guys, meh. You know, everybody's got to be a douche like I was when I first started schizo rapping. And uh, we all do that to a certain extent, right? And uh, 
So we got a lot of people like, yeah, right, you know, bullshit. And we were trying to peddle these tickets. But there was a lot of other people that were like, nope, been watching what these guys have been doing. They've been hustling for a while now, doing some big shows. So, yeah, I'll trust them on this. And and this was before the time, like, Busy wasn't putting out any, like, kind of promo video or anything like that. So people just kind of took our word for it. And I think... And we also had no marketing budget. Like, we ran no commercials, no ads on the radio. We didn't do any of that shit. It was just flyers around town, Facebook promotion. And this was at a time where Facebook, you could still reach people with promoting on Facebook. It was more, had a lot more organic reach. Sorry, I got to stay hydrated for you guys. Otherwise, I get all cotton choppy and then I'm not going to be able to talk. So you like, when we get to the show, it's not a huge sellout or anything, but there are hundreds of people there. There was at least 250, if not three, I think. We I think we sold like 300 tickets for that, which isn't shit for Busy Bone. You know, you'd think you'd be able to pull a thousand or a couple thousand in a small town. But uh, us, just on our own, just me and fucking Dusty, selling our own tickets, booking our own venue, promoting our own show. No money in our pocket to pay the rest of money to Busy Bone. Busy got like a deposit, I think, and then like he was going to get the rest at the show. So we're just winging it, right? <clears throat> we get to the show and fucking it was incredible. It was the most magical show we ever did <clears throat> to this day. The My favorite show ever as far as just the vibe. It was celebratory. We were there and we weren't stressed out about it. We enjoyed the moment. We had fun. We frequently went up to each other and we're like, fucking busy blown, we're here, you know, we got this shit. And like all the we we did like we had local rappers on. We actually did a a show to promote the Busy Bone show. We had a, a show with the local rappers where they all performed and we were like judges. And like we were gonna pick a, a one of those local rap groups to open up for Busy Bone and stuff. And it was like an entry fee, so we made money off of it and stuff. And uh, we ended up picking two of them, actually. We gave a surprise, like, second entrance to somebody else. But it was it was, it was was a lot of fun, man. We did that show, and Busy was there. And he showed up. And he even, like, not like, I think we told him uh, before the show that a lot of people didn't believe that he was going to be there. And he actually acknowledged it on stage. He's like, hey, I heard a lot of y'all motherfuckers didn't think I was going to be here. And, you know, and he, like, put us over. He, like, shouted us out. He's like, Dusty and Sheep, you know? And, like, man, it was magical. It was so great. And he was the coolest fucking guy. I'm telling you, like, we ended up working with quite a few uh, rappers and, like, artists and, like, got into wrestlers and stuff. But Busy Bone, by far, the most humble, chill so, like, after the show, he rocked the show. And the crowd went insane. They were all just going nuts for him. The crowd was hyped for us when I was on stage, me and Dusty. The crowd was hyped for the other locals. Like, they were into it the whole night. The people that were there were there for it. <clears throat> and Busy stayed after. And he wanted to meet and greet every single person that wanted to meet and greet him. Even, the, like, the owner of the, the club, we went past 2 in the morning. That's when all the bars got to shut down. And uh, she was like, hey, we got to get the fuck out of here. And Busy's like, just chill your crack, sweetheart. You know, like, he's fucking, he didn't say it like that. But he was like, 
like, hey, I want, I'm just going to sit here until everybody that wants to meet me has met me. It was like, uh, um, you know, after the show, he sat behind a, a bar or whatever, and he took pictures. I don't know if he signed autographs. I think he did. I think he was signing autographs. But he was at least taking pictures and shaking hands and stuff and giving people moments. And I love that because still to this day, people on my Facebook feed, like, they'll have pictures pop up of them and Busy Bone and, like, hey, I met Busy Bone and whatever. And, like, I fucking love that. <clears throat> he was so chill. He was so kind. Like, he insisted on meeting everybody, but he also, and staying late, but he also, like, he asked me as a promoter, me and Dusty, like, after, like, when we paid him, he's like, did y'all make some money? You guys do good here? He's like, good, good, good. I'm glad that you guys got to make some money, too. Like, he was concerned that we did okay, too. He wanted to make sure that this was mutually beneficial show for everybody, and we did. We, we made some money off that show, for sure. The bar made some money. It was a fucking wonderful night. <clears throat> and then, like, even uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time, who became my wife, second wife, uh, was pregnant with my second kid and uh, at the time. And Busy Bone, like, she was up there. She was, like, helping, like, I don't know what she was doing, uh, taking pictures or working tickets at the door. Or, I don't know. She was helping out at the show. But she was up there, and, like, Busy, like, felt her tummy for, like, the kick, you know? And he's just like, oh, you know, like, when do you do? And, like, man, he was just the fucking best. Just the best. And, uh... We took the money we made off of that and the momentum we made out of that and the reputation we made off of that to say, okay, what's our next big move? Um, and then, uh, so the next act we brought was Dayton Family. They're definitely smaller, but a lot of people know them, especially in Michigan. They're from the Flint area, like some OG gangsta group. And then, and they were cool as fuck too, by the way. Very cool guys. Um... You know, they were they were super chill. They wanted to get drunk with us after, and we were all just hanging out, having drinks, and fucking talking, partying. Um, the next one, we did uh, a Juggalo act, Anybody Killer. He was a straight-up fucking douchebag, like a douchebag. Like, he wanted to kick everybody out before... Um, it was to do his like sound check and stuff like even like us like the promoters like he literally wanted an empty building because he thought everybody was gonna just stand around and fanboy for him and like what it, like he was such a douche and like he didn't want to talk with anybody or mingle with anybody and this compared to like busy bone right like just fucking being a god up there with with people uh up in the upper bar area and and then like uh dayton family hanging out with us the whole time just chilling this guy, just a straight-up douchebag. <clears throat> and we ended up doing a show with Afro Man. We did a couple of... We did, like, another Juggalo act, too. Like, we d doubled up with that manager and did another one. And that guy was also a douchebag. So two for two, shitty acts there. So then we moved on to Afro Man. We're like, let's do some fucking Afro Man. We ended up doing an Afro Man show. We did two Afro Man shows because by this point, um, we, we were doing a lot of steady shows up in Houghton. And, uh, which was like the northern part of the UP. There's a college up there. And, uh, we were doing enough shows up there where we were like, hey, uh, I don't know if Afro Man pitched it or if we just kind of came up with the idea, like, we could probably do multiple shows at this point and get a better deal on each show if we did it that way. 
So we brought Afro Man up for a two two header. We got the uh, we worked with the local venue up in Houghton, and we went half seas on an event with them up there. Um, and they may have even ended up paying for the show. I know we got paid out of that, but it, we might have just got paid for like administrating it. They might have just straight out paid for Afro Man for that show. And then we paid for Afro Man for our show, but each of us got them cheaper because we did a, two shows back to back, night to night. Afro Man was friendly, but he didn't like want to hang out with anybody. He was kind of like he hid out. He had a van. He was up there in a van, and uh, he was just in his own van until it was showtime. Basically, like we texted him or called him or whatever, and then we just like. He told us where he was, and we went and got him and just walked with him to the venue and walked in, and he started his show from there. This bridged into uh, doing shows with... We also did uh, a couple bands. Did, did a lot of shit in that time. We started you know, bringing in those headlining acts. Not too, too many. That's pretty much the gist of them, but I think there were a couple more. There was a Hal Sparks. He was a comedian. Um, <clears throat> he had a band. But then we did, like, we got involved with wrestling. There was an old uh, a wrestling promoter uh, that used to do shows in town. He's a wrestler. He used to do shows in town. Uh, I was friends with him on Facebook, and he reached out, saw all the shit I was promoting, and was like, hey, you ever think about re- promoting a wrestling show? It's like, fuck, yeah, I'll do a wrestling show. Talked with Dusty about it. Dusty, not a wrestling fan, but I was able to kind of talk him into it and whatnot. <clears throat> We uh, started, that escalated so quickly. We started looking for like a ring rental and uh, we were going to do, you know, a a show with this group Uh, and they ran by the name of UPW for the UP and uh, that's what they were under before and this could have been anything. This could have been, you know, the Dusty and Sheep Wrestling Federation, you know, it could have been whatever we wanted to call it. Freedom Entertainment was our brand at the time. Um, but we decided we're like, no, you know what? We like the old. We like the idea of the old UPW. Let's make let's rebrand it UPW. Let's make it that. And so it was kind of like a rebirth of of the old UPW. And we helped. We completely funded it. Completely promoted it. Completely organized it. The the wrestler built. Uh, he booked up the card and booked all the wrestlers because we didn't know any wrestlers or anything like that. We just knew promotions, marketing. You know the venue, the booking, the running of the events. Um, so we did all that and, and he did the wrestling stuff on his end and we brought wrestling in and we did that show with X-Pac, fucking X-Pac. You know, we, we continued with the trend of bringing in big name acts. We were doing it with bands. Why not do it with wrestlers? Why just book local Jimmy with his fucking spandex? And there are lots of local Jimmys. That's how indie events work. You know, it's all the local guys, but then you bring in the headliner to pop the crowd and get the ticket sales and stuff right so yeah we made the decision pretty early on we were going to bring in a big act and we were able to get x-pac right off the bat and x-pac wrestlers work a little bit of different they don't sign contracts they don't have riders it's a handshake deal we were a little bit nervous about that at first so i actually i remember having a phone call I'm driving around and I'm circling the blocks and stuff, talking to X-Pac on the phone, just verbally verifying that I can trust that he's going to be there. Because also at the time, X-Pac's a sweetheart, Sean Waltman, the, just a fucking 
peach of a human being, but he's he's uh, had his issues in the past, and this was kind of in that transition period where you don't know for sure. So I just wanted to, like, with no contract or anything, I wanted to be sure we were doing contracts with all these bands and rappers and stuff at this point, writers, all that shit. And, and uh, we wanted to make sure he was going to show. So he had convinced me. I was like, all right, you know, we'll take the chance because you got to send him the money in advance, too, and all that stuff. And there have been known wrestlers from time to time to just no-show and steal your money. But he didn't do that. He showed up, and he fucking, it was a packed house. Like, it was a huge crowd for it. Uh, they were a hot crowd. We ended up buying a wrestling ring instead of renting one because it was so cheap. Like, we couldn't pass it up. We had to put a little TLC into it. But we ended, you know, for, for what you're going to re- pay to rent a ring, you might as well own it. And we justified it like we could turn it into a stage if we needed to, uh, which we couldn't because rings are meant to be bouncy and loud. Not bouncy like a trampoline, but they got a little bit of a give to them. So if you're going to do a show on there, you're going to hear a lot of boards clanging against metal pipes and, and framework underneath. <laughs> so it's like, like uh, you know, unless you're layered carpet underneath a ring or something like that, it's not going to... It's, it's going to be too loud to do a concert is what I'm saying. The way that we bounce around and stuff. Um, so, I mean, that was a huge success. So we rolled right into the next wrestling show. And we did fucking the New Age Outlaws, right? Let's double down. Instead of one big star, we got two big stars, but they're a tag team, you know, badass Billy Gunn and the road dog Jesse James, the new age outlaws. And, uh, oh, you didn't know? Um, we got two words for you, all that shit. That's them, you know? So we brought them in. And we just continued. We did shows. We had Rhino and Raven on the same show. We were able to do Raven as a surprise on a show. That was fucking great. So we became the kings of fucking wrestling on top of the music scene. We are just fucking nailing it. Started spreading the wrestling around to other towns in the UP. Like, it became a formula and an infrastructure and a, and a budget. And you make the money back off the event plus some. And you're able to take that and put that into your next one. Um, but eventually it just became because we were partnering with the wrestlers and because UPW was their brand, even though this was essentially our wrestling promotion by all accounts, you know, like they were the bookers, the wrestling people called the wrestlers and booked the wrestlers and stuff, but we paid for everything. We promoted everything. We advertised everything. We marketed it. The, the, the look, the feel, the sound, the vibe, the videos, everything was us. We did the com. Me and Dusty did commentary over like uh, over the matches, and we sold DVDs of the events. We were on it. We were on it. But the business kind of fell apart. You know, they started doing T-shirts on their own and like not cutting us in on the money or telling us what the you know what they made off of it or anything. Using logos that we designed that that I designed. And it just kind of became shady, and I think there was a little bit of uh, um, paranoia on our end, too, because once we reached that certain point, we had a lot of haters. We had a lot of people that, you know, were rappers putting out diss tracks on us and, like, people we were friendly with mad at us and stuff because they felt slighted because they weren't on a show or something and, like, uh, you know, 
they didn't get that. We were paying for all these big shows, and it wasn't the same as, like, this local bar show where we can just throw all our homies on. You know, like, we're paying for all this now. We're paying thousands of dollars to bring in these acts. And, and you know, like, any of these, you know, Busy Bone and Afro Man, these guys are thousands of dollars. You know, not tens of thousands, but, like, two, three, you know. So we're not just going to throw local Jimmy on there for free and let them get all the fucking, you know, and it sounds dickish to even say that, but fuck, it's business, you know. We're spending money to help build our name and our brand by bringing these guys in and opening up for them and, and tagging along with that show. So why just let everybody else tag along for the ride, right? So we built a lot of enemies over that. We started to get really paranoid and insecure in ourselves, even, and uh, <clears throat> to, that coincided with the venue we were working with. Remember, we were friends with the manager there. They had sold the building, and it was getting taken over by new people who had aspirations to basically just turn it into a giant karaoke bar and didn't really like all of our rap shows that we were doing. Like, we did a couple under them, and they started getting really, like, like because there was, like, a smooth transition where, like, the manager was working with the new owners still for a little bit. And we were, they were watching the shows that we were doing, and they started, like, this guy fancied himself a DJ, so he started taking over the sound booth and wanting to, like, micromanage how we do things. He's like, don't, don't hold the microphone like that. It's like, fuck off, man. We, we've been doing this for a minute now. You're in here, you're fucking up our groove, right? So this between this and our own insecurities and paranoias and and the shady shit that we were seeing, like we started to not get along at events with the wrestling guys a little bit. You know, and they even made an offer to try to buy the ring. So we started we were, we were essentially getting the vibe that these guys were trying to push us out of the wrestling shows at this point. You know, they were starting to feel like, okay, now that we're up and running, we can do it on our own. So what we did is we cut and run. <laughs> we decided to like basically cut those guys out and we were going to rebrand the wrestling company under our own name, which we should have did from the beginning. And we went to have that problem. But because it was UPW, it wasn't our brand. And I don't know that there was any actual copyrights owned or anything like that, but just in general, we're not just going to inherit, you know, like... If I was the sheep releasing the sheep records and Dusty, like, suddenly, like, we got into beef and then he wanted to go continue doing the sheep albums, it's like, wait a minute, you know? No. So it's their, they created UPW, so they were UPW. So we were just going to rebrand it. But apparently we underestimated our pull in the wrestling community, you know, because we were pretty friendly with the wrestlers at this point. And, you know, I was the one handing out all the payouts and shit. So, you know, people knew where the money was coming from and and where the promotion was and everything. So it kind of split the roster, too. You know, there were guys that were, like, siding with us because they thought, you know, the other guys were kind of douchebags or dicks or whatever. And, you know, we'd hear about it. We'd hear them bitch about them and stuff like that. But then, you know, they had a lot of people, more people loyal on their side, too. And they had uh, apparently won over the new owners of the club, too. So we were actually pushed out. Uh, we were pushed out of our club. We were pushed out of UPW, or we left UPW. No, we left UPW to do our own thing. 
Um, but we weren't able, like they were essentially able to keep UPW just without our money, our marketing, our branding, our artwork, our everything, our infrastructure, you know, they took it over on their own, just like they were trying to do our ring. We kept our ring. So we tried to go off to the side and do our own thing. And we did, we started a revol pro wrestling revolution and, uh, we did that and it was, uh, we ended up doing a show at like a fucking, uh, like a like a mud festival where there was like trucks racing in the muds and there was like bands and like all the, you know, we, we booked the music. We booked the bands actually we booked the music and the wrestling for that. We got wrestling there and we got fat paid for that. So we're like, fuck yeah, we'll just keep this train rolling, you know? Uh, so we took that fat paid money and we went to another town cause we weren't going to compete in our hometown with the wrestling promotion. And at this point, we weren't able to do our shows there, our concert events there either, because the new owners didn't want that kind of stuff. They liked the wrestling. They kept the wrestling there, but they did not bring any headliner music into there ever after that. It was all karaoke bar bullshit, effectively ending our run in our own town. So we went to another town. We went up to Marquette, which was a big college town. We're like, we'll fucking run here then. Fuck you. And uh, we tried. And nobody cared about wrestling there. We promoted the fuck out. We had ads on TV. There was a local like TV guy named uh, Doug Garrison. He had the Doug Garrison show. We went on there to promote our stuff. We handed out flyers around the college, like hand to hand, and like telling people what it was. Um, but nobody came. Nobody cared. Nobody liked wrestling. Uh, we doubled down. We went there and we're like, let's try this again. We partnered with a rave, like a, one of our DJ buddies was doing a rave, so we like shared the cost of the building and stuff to do the show there, where we could do the show earlier in the night, and then he could do his all-nighter rave, and uh, still, just nothing, so we ended up losing the money we were making off of the previous event, you know, brought us back down to zero, and we were basically like, all right, <laughs> what now? So we made a big move to try to do our, our big show. We were building up to a big show, you know, where our storylines were kind of coming to a head, uh, where it was going to be like our like our pay-per-view style show, right? And we wanted to do it at the local casino where we had got Busy Bone there. You know, they were doing, they do concerts there all the time and stuff. So we were like, we knew somebody that worked in like the offices of the, where the entertainment is run. Um, so he, he was able to at least get us a meeting there. So we got a meeting with the entertainment person at the casino and we're like, Hey, we want to do a wrestling show. We won't charge you. You make all the money off the bars and the food or whatever. And we'll make money, whatever people pay to get into the, that room for the wrestling show. We'll get the ticket money. And they were okay with that, but they wanted an insurance policy. Before that, we didn't have any insurance. So we were running all these events with no event insurance. So if somebody just died or got their fucking leg broken or whatever, we'd be fucked, right? Of course, we were both broke asses. None of us owned a house or anything like that. So actually, no, I did. I was at a house at the time. I was married. But, you know, somebody could come after us or something, but we just, we didn't know, whatever. Didn't know, didn't care, didn't feel we were bootstrapping it all the way through just two dudes and uh they wanted like a million dollar insurance policy which didn't cost a million dollars but when we started shopping around uh you know we started calling around to see if we could get one 
nobody wanted to insure us because it was a wrestling show. And they're like, ah, that sounds shady. You know what I mean? We tried to explain. It's all scripted. It's all like we, you know, nobody's going to just accidentally fly out into the crowd or anything and like kick somebody in the face. This is all controlled. It's an entertainment event, you know. Um, but they didn't, they didn't want, nobody wanted to touch it. None of them. So we had to fold our wrestling company and sell our wrestling ring. And uh, that was a hard pill to swallow because we kind of had gone broke from, we'd broken even, you know, all the money that we had made from our events and stuff basically all made just enough money to kind of fund the next one and then a little money in your pocket for your work and time and stuff, but. It just gave you the money to fund the next one. Because remember, we didn't even have the money to pay Busy Bone at the first show. We were just lucky we made it off the ticket sales. Had nobody made it, we would have been fucked. Um, but we got to a point where we were kind of out of our our money and back to square one. I was like, all right. Now was a good time to step out of the wrestling shit. And then... At that point, I was kind of uh, starting to go through a divorce situation, so I ended up having to move. And that was the end of it. That was the end of that whole Freedom Entertainment run. We did a lot of shows in that run. We were very prolific, a lot of albums. I released another album uh, that I had recorded You know, uh, up at, instead of doing it with Schizo this time, was, you know, because my first solo album was all by myself. My next one was with schizo again but ad after i had already been doing shows and making a name for myself and then the third one was with a producer from marquette because i was i was going to college up there for uh um broadcasting or like journal broadcast journalism and there was like audio video production involved and all that so there was a studio there like a full fucking like our department, we as students of that department, we had access to the studio anytime, a professional recording studio at the college. So I went up there with my buddy, uh, who's also a rapper up there, who had recorded his album on the, at the studio while he was in college. And uh, he recorded mine. And, and we got a third one out there. But shortly after that, it was all done. The shows were done. All that was done. And I had to... I had to move for my kids and stuff after the divorce and uh, was kind of lost after that. So what do you do after you've done all that shit? And now, like, do I keep rapping? I did. I recorded another album uh, with Schizo. Uh, he was went by the name Lucas James at that point. He had kind of switched to that, dropped the Schizo. That was more of like a high school thing. And he was going by a more professional name of Lucas James at that point. Recorded another EP with him, but I never released it. Uh, I put a couple of the singles out, but it was just kind of meh. It was there. It was just something to kind of keep me in the game. But then, you know, there was good songs on it. Don't get me wrong. I, I like some of the songs on it, but it wasn't like as good of the of a piece of work as some of my other albums were. So then, you know, I started like, well, what's my next step? So I started getting into podcasting because uh, me and Dusty, before I had moved, had actually done a couple podcasts on our own called The Underground Sound. You know, we started that and it was we had done three of them 
with me and Dusty, and that was going to be our thing. And this was basically before podcasts were even a thing. They were barely a thing. You know, Rogan was around, uh, a couple others maybe, but I was doing it because I was into wrestling, and some wrestlers had podcasts by then. Colt Cabana had his, and of course... Uh, I was subscribed to, like, the Pro Wrestling Torch. They had a news site. They had podcasts. They were even, I think, I don't even know if podcast was a word at that time. It was 2010-ish. It was very new. And then uh, after I moved, I was like, well, I guess I can keep this going and just kind of remorph it. I don't I don't live by Dusty anymore, so I can't do it with him. I guess could have did it on the phone or whatever, but what I decided to do was kind of make it my project, you know, my creative outlet. And I kind of cashed in on working with all these rappers and bands and wrestlers and everything by interviewing them. Like, let's, you know, let's do a podcast and let's interview all these people that we worked with and talk to them about their careers and stuff, you know, like get their story. Like the story I'm telling you now about myself, let's get their story. And um, try to have crossover appeal with their fans, you know, because um, they have their followings. And if I can, you know, if they share the podcast with them, then maybe some of those people will keep following me. So I ended up doing, we had, there's 16 episodes of the Underground Sound total. Three of them were with Dusty. So that would be, you know, 13 of them were my interviews. Those are all up as back issues, both on YouTube and on the podcast feed. You can just search your podcast app for Seth Grimes Media, <coughs> but also on the YouTube channel as well. The Underground Sound, the full collection, all those podcasts are there, so you can kind of hear those interviews I did with those wrestlers, UPW wrestlers, Pro Wrestling Revolution wrestlers, rappers, all that shit. And then, um, then, so the podcasting morphed to, uh, that kind of ran its course, I guess, you know, because getting an interview with somebody all the time gets to be like, it's hard, you know, like you got to ask favors of people and you got to organize their time. And like, it's a hard thing to maintain. It really is. Uh, you calling in favors and stuff, but it was fun while it, it lasted, but it, it ran out after the 16 total episodes. So then what? So then I started writing a book. Just write a book. I always wanted to be a writer, an author, a journalist. Let's put that to use. You know, I'm still a writer. Let's put it instead of writing songs. Let's do this. So I did that. <laughs> I wrote a book. About, you know, what 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 kind of book. And I'll do more of a long story on the book, actually. Because well, I kind of want to do my own pod on the book itself. So I won't get too in detail about that. But I wrote it about uh, kind of piggybacking off some of my younger concert-going experiences as a, as a high school kid. And then just kind of wrapping a fictional story around that. And um, I chose that because I knew the topic. So I didn't have to research a lot. And it had kind of a built-in fan base, you know, um, already. Because it was about, you know, the gathering of the Juggalos. So it was like Juggalos are obviously a market that I can target ads to and stuff like that. So wrote the book, put it out, got a book. Now what? You know, so I don't want to be a rapper anymore at this point. You know, I can keep writing. I also got this passion for pro wrestling. 
So I started up the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast, where I, I instead of, I always had this idea, and it just took me so long to get up and running with it, instead of just talking about wrestling like every other podcast does, or interviewing a wrestler, let me take clips, like do it like a talk soup, right? Like clips from these pro wrestling shows, uh, these podcasts and interviews and stuff that are out there every week, because there's a shit ton of them. And just take the best clips of those and then talk about those clips. Like, this guy was on this podcast this week and he was talking about this. Check out this clip. And then after that, go, yeah, that was a fucking clip, wasn't it? And just talk about whatever happened and, and that was my thing. And and then that leads us right here. Uh, of course, I got the NFT thing going, which is an outlet for my graphic design. Uh, where I can still work on art and stuff because I used to do all the flyers for the events. That's kind of, kind of how I got into it. Logos, album covers. So all of it kind of leads to modern day. I got this podcast now. It's kind of my creative outlet. Uh, so where are things going to go from here? So now you kind of know why I do what I do and how I got here. Um, so what's next? Another book for sure. Um, I got a book, uh, like a journalism book about something, you know, things that are in the news or have been in the news over the last couple of years. Uh, I'm going to be vague about all these because I don't want people stealing my ideas. I got a, uh, novel, uh, like about that's about a, a very dirty topic for adults. <laughs> I got a novel about, um, for like middle grade that I'm working on. So I got all three of these books kind of in various stages of the first draft, you know, like some are not very complete first drafts, some are more than halfway, and then I think another one's basically like 90% written as a first draft. I try to balance all of that with working on the NFTs and putting in tons of work on these NFTs, man. Like... Uh, we started with the Wrestle Pals, and this is, uh, when I say we, I'm partnering back up with good old Schizo, Lucas James. Uh, we are, he, he kind of got me into the NFT space. I was already into crypto, but he was kind of like, hey, you ever hear of NFTs? I'm like, ah, yeah, that fucking JPEG shit. But uh, he kind of filled me in on it, and then I started falling down that rabbit hole, and we started, a, we decided to put out a product, because we like wrestling, let's do a wrestling one. And uh, we got the Wrestle Pals series right now. We got another one that I've just been putting in mad work on that's complete now and ready to drop a separate project that's wrestling related still that I think is going to just kill and make us a shit ton of money. Oh my God. Uh, some more books, NFTs. This podcast, just for me to talk about shit like this. So I can't talk about shit like this on the wrestling podcast. Uh, I can't talk about shit like this. Like, me and Dusty are going to be starting a show uh, that's going to be handling current events and politics and news and that kind of stuff. So it's going to be kind of my angle where, like, this war in Ukraine shit, for example, we'd be talking all about that kind of shit, you know. Um, or whatever else, anything else in the, in pop culture and media and whatever. That'll be a separate platform. We're going to start to do that. Um so, you know, I got these these outlets for these pods, you know, my wrestling outlet for the podcast, this for my personal life, just anything I want to rant about or talk about or vent about or go long form storytelling with you guys because it's my audio journal. 
I'm glad you guys are listening, but at the end of the day, this is just to hear myself talk. Okay? Got a lot of shit to say. No one to say it to. I'm going to say it to you. Um, and then the political one come down the way. I'm going to get into streaming. That's the next step. Um, I have already equipped myself with a solid streaming setup. I just haven't uh, completely put it together and begun this journey yet. But I would say in the very near future, you're going to start to see me streaming. I don't know if I'm going to be streaming this show necessarily, but I might. I very well might. Um, and then, you know, like record a video version of it. I uh, might do the same for the Pro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, the show I do with Dusty is absolutely going to be uh, streamed. It's going to be a video format. It's going to be podcast, but it's also going to be a video. It's going to be a show. Um, and, it, you know, that could lead into doing some gaming, streaming, all that. So that's kind of shit. And, like, never say never with the music thing again, too. I said I'm kind of done with the rapping, but... You know, I might drop a song every once in a while because I'm still, still have that ability. I can still flow. I can still rap. I can still write rap songs. I just don't necessarily have the passion to put myself out there to be a, that rapper guy again. <clears throat> Lucas James, schizo, he's getting into wanting to get in the itch to be a rapper again. So never, never say never. Never know what's going to be coming down the pike, but uh, pipe. I don't know why I say pike. It's not a fish. It's a pipe. Shit comes down the pipe. Like water when you flush the toilet. So that's where we're at, man. Uh, you know, the uh, the creative outlets are good. Uh, I will always need a creative outlet. And that's why I think podcasts are going to be my next niche. I got a few of them going. Let's see what pops. Uh, I don't think this one... This one isn't here to, like, pop. This isn't, like... Everybody's like, why are you just doing, like, nobody cares? I get it. Like, nobody cares about my history of whatever. This isn't for that, though. This isn't, like, I want to blow up with this podcast. This is just, like, my base. So, like, as you build your brand, right, you send in everybody to at Seth Grimes Media on Twitter, at Seth Grimes Media on Facebook, at Seth Grimes Media on TikTok, at or slash United Underworld Media on YouTube, at Seth Grimes Media on Rumble. When you start to do that kind of shit, you start to build your brand. This is like a hub. This is like if people like some of the shit I'm doing, maybe they want to hear a little bit more about the person. Because I do. I don't know about you, but I like hearing about people's lives. I like those personal stories. So if you care, thank you. If you don't, that's fine. I got other shit. We're going to be putting out lots of other shit. We're going to keep creating content because in my heart of hearts, I am a content creator. I've always been as we've just walked through the story. You know, from my youngest age, I was creating wrestling shows with action figures. Um, not just, you know, bonking them off of each other, but doing full productions all the way up to here we are now having this conversation. So uh, I appreciate, you know, if you guys stuck with me all the way to the end here to hear my story, my journey through content creation and, and media production and entertainment. <clears throat> Fuck, we glossed over things even, you know, I recorded music videos along the way, like, you know, lots of shit, lots of albums. If you're curious about any of the old music, uh, it is up on YouTube. I do have 
all the full albums are on YouTube currently. Uh, there are several singles available on YouTube too, if you just want to hear a song or two. But uh, I'm going to be putting up more of those too shortly here. Kind of filling out, you know, some of the back catalog stuff. Um, if you want to see a lot of that old shit, like those concerts and stuff, if you're curious of what that period looked like, I have on YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can just kind of go to the channel. Um, if you're listening to podcasts, it's uh, slash United Underworld Media. And you can find uh, what's called The Sheep Show. There's a playlist on there called The Sheep Show. There's eight episodes of that. That was a little web series show I put together back in 2010, folks. I was This was a vlog before vlogs were vlogs, right? Where I'm just at... This was literally like the vlogs you see people like the wrestling vlogs where they're backstage hanging out with their homies. This is that. We're at the concert before the crowd comes in, talking to the rappers, doing sound checks, fucking hanging out with the DJ, clips from the show, live performances, backs behind the scenes of filming music videos and recording albums and outtakes and fuck ups and interviews and just, man, all that shit's there. For your viewing pleasure if you want to go back and check out some of the old shit I've done. But if not, lots of new shit coming down the pike in the future, right? Coming down that old pike. So thank you for your time. I won't hold you anymore. This one's been a long one, but I, I wanted to tell that journey and kind of give a backstory as to why is this this old guy putting out a podcast and thinks that people will care to listen. Well, that's why. A lot of you were there to follow me for the early shit. A lot of you have jumped on to follow me for some of the new shit, like the pro wrestling podcast. So here we are. Thank you so much. Peace, love, and pizza. I'm Seth Grimes.